Welcome to House Calls, where we get to talk to investment bankers from Kane Brothers, a division of Key Bank Capital Markets Incorporated. I'm your host, Dave Johnson, the CEO of Foresight Health and the author of The Customer Revolution in Healthcare, Delivering Kinder, Smarter, Affordable Care for All. I co-author a regular thought leadership article with a rotating cast of senior bankers from Kane Brothers. In each piece, we do a deep dive on a fascinating sector of the dynamic healthcare industry. For this House Calls podcast, I'm joined by Wyatt Ritchie, the new group head and managing director of Kane Brothers. Today, we're going to continue our conversation about the conference that Kane Brothers convened in Nashville on June 13th and 14th. It was the first ever collaboration conference between health systems and private equity investment firms. Wyatt, last time we talked about the what and the how of the conference, and today we're going to talk about the why. Welcome to House Calls, where the bankers like you are always in. David, how are you? Always nice to be here. Looking forward to the conversation and picking up where we left off on the last podcast. Who knows where it's going to lead? So we did have a great discussion last week about the event in Nashville that brought PE and health system leaders together in one intimate gathering. Kane Brothers had great sponsor partners who stepped up to help make that happen on a short time schedule. There was enthusiastic participation by attendees, and that resulted in really candid dialogue that felt both urgent and important. To me, it brought to mind that famous observation by the classic French novelist Victor Hugo, author of Les Miserables, among other things, that nothing is so powerful as an idea whose time has come. So let's talk about the time for this particular idea, partnerships between health systems and PE. Why is the timing right now? Does that sound good to you, Wyatt? That sounds like a plan. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I definitely think, you know, now will probably be defined over a decade as opposed to uh, a, a year. But yes, I, I think there's a lot of forces that we can talk about as to why people were so interested, you know, in coming to Nashville for this conference. Yeah, this is healthcare after all, which where change moves just barely faster than a snail. Wyatt, I really enjoyed your opening remarks, and I thought you captured the essence of the conference in a spot-on way. You also mentioned that within Kane Brothers, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, that you've combined the nonprofit group and the corporate finance groups where they were once separate and really didn't collaborate with one another very much. But now they're all in the same team. And that allows the group internally within Kane Brothers as it interacts with the marketplace to be more holistic and integrated in its thinking. You also spoke about some of the macro forces behind the need to make that consolidation within the groups and within the industries. And I'm gonna quote you, today it is our judgment that new solutions will be required to solve intransigent problems within healthcare. And assuming a return to the status quo is a false assumption, given fundamental economic challenges that will necessitate real change in healthcare, those who pay for our goods and services are losing patience, and those who use our goods and services are befuddled by their complexity. That's a powerful way of saying that health systems are in trouble. And in many ways, when you and I were talking about organizing the conference, we were saying it's going to take a village to help fix their problems, which is why the timing with PE is so appropriate. So 
with that as a backdrop, why why don't you expand on the macro forces that are transforming the industry, both bottom up and top down, and how they're in particular affecting the health system provider business model? Glad to. You know, I, I would say that, you know, I don't think that you know, this issue is, you know, exclusively, you know, focused on health systems. You know, I, I think, you know, the full gamut of healthcare needs to, you know, re-examine itself. You know, having said that, I do think health systems, you know, with the capital intensity of health systems, with the complexity that those operations have, and, you know, oftentimes with not the strongest governance, probably are a little bit more in the crosshairs. But, you know, I would say that I think any of us who are in the healthcare industry do need to look at themselves in the mirror around how, how are they doing to make this better, cheaper, faster. But, you know, my comments, you know, at the conference, I was, you know, making the point that, you know, over the last 50 years, you know, the federal government has really expanded, you know, its influence over healthcare, and that, you know, now the federal government probably, you know, represents half of the buying that goes on in healthcare, whether it's Medicare, whether it is, you know, Medicaid and the federal government's, you know, half to two thirds of the Medicaid funding, you know, whether it's, you know, some of the other programs like the VA, when you total all up, you know, the federal government is, you know, the major buyer of, of healthcare. And then you layer on top of that, you know, just the fundamental balance sheet and income statement of the federal government, which from an income statement, you know, we have been, you know, in a deficit spend for a prolonged period of time. And if you forecast that out between, you know, higher interest rates that will require budget revenues to service debt, uh, as well as, you know, an aging population and the growing roles of Medicare, it doesn't look like, you know, the deficit, you know, is going to change anytime soon. You can certainly fund deficits for a period of time if you've got the balance sheet to do it. And, you know, heretofore, you know, the federal government's had the balance sheet to do it. But, you know, we are approaching significant amounts of debt when you combine the amount of debt and the printing of money along with the spending, we're now dealing with some of the inflationary issues that result from it. But my point is, you know, there's going to have to be some more fundamental economic changes. And that if we just continue to think that, oh, it's just going to be Democrats and Republicans, you know, arguing and the can get kicked down the road, I, I just don't believe that that is going to hold true because of these you know, broader economic issues um, at play and that, you know, those of us that are involved, you know, you included, David, we can snicker at, you know, some of the waste and some of the ineffectual spending and we've been able to, you know, afford that. But I, I do think we're entering into, you know, a new time of more significant questions about the return on investment, you know, relative to healthcare spend. You focused specifically on the federal government, obviously got pressure at all government levels, state and, and local, where local governments fund health care sometimes as well, like in Cook County. But I think I'd expand the equation because as the government has become a bigger payer, it's pushed more of the percentage allocation of the total payment 
on to self-insured employers, uh, the commercial market. And if you look broadly at inflation over the last 20 years, nominal inflation has been one and a half percent. Medical inflation has been three to three and a half percent. And the inflation on commercial health insurance plans has been double that, six to seven percent. So just simple math that shows that more and more of the burden is moving into the commercial market. And it feels like we're bumping up against a ceiling there too, that the corporations have sort of pushed as much of this as they can to employees. And of course, at the individual level, individuals, bankruptcies and so on are record levels. And so I I think I'd expand your, your sort of macro financial pressure to embrace the totality, right? It's it's not just the government, it's corporations and, and individuals too. I completely agree with that. I was just having a conversation yesterday with someone around that point. And, you know, I think that, you know, the governments has has not fully funded their costs, which to your point has been now been, you know, providers have passed that on to employers. And, you know, I, I agree we're at a breaking point and that employers are going to start looking for more radical solutions to to this problem, because um, I think they're questioning the return on investment that they're getting for the spend. And certainly the employees are, you know, questioning the investment, also, you know, questioning the service. So yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think it's it, it's everything in total. And I think to your original question, it's these forces that are probably intuitively inside, you know, a lot of people within healthcare and is what was part of the motivation for coming to this conference because you know new approaches are going to be required and that's going to require new lines of thinking and and the border between for profit and not for profit is going to be blurred. It needs to be blurred. You know, we need to be rethink how we relate to the different constituents within healthcare. Yeah, yeah, such a great point. And unfortunately, I think the way most people look at healthcare is when they're forecasting the future is just on a straight line basis. I mean, CMS came out with its most recent forecast uh, last month, and it shows health spending overall growing to $7 trillion plus by 2031, 20% of the economy. And I think what you're saying and what I'm saying um, is that trends that cannot continue won't. We will not continue to spend, particularly for the relatively inferior outcomes we we receive as a country in terms of health status, uh, maternal mortality, life expectancy, explosion in chronic disease, so on and so forth. So part of what I think we're saying and what the marketplace is saying is we're in for a paradigm shift, which the industry really has never gone through before, at least hasn't gone through since the Flexner Commission over 100 years ago, which uh, which shrunk the size of the acute care footprint and established the standards for medical education that really are still in place today. Um, so if we're in a paradigm shifting moment like other industries have gone through, think of hospitality and transportation, among others, banking, then that really does require a different type of thinking and uh, new models will emerge. And at the end of the day, you know, 
call it return on investment, call it value. I think you're right. Nobody really cares whether it's for-profit or non-profit. It's just, are you delivering better outcomes at lower cost with better customer service and really meeting in a direct way, in a much more effective way, the fundamental healthcare needs of the American public? Do you think we're sort of on the cusp of paradigm shift, which means kind of all bets are off in terms of how we've historically looked at things. So we need new ways of looking at things. No, I do. I do. I think we're getting there. And as you know, I mean, we always overestimate the change in five years and underestimate the change in 10. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, hold true. Where it goes, I don't really know, but I do know that between the waste between the inefficiencies, between, you know, the spend on pretty marginal outcomes has got to just change and create more value for all the constituents. You know, my comment about for-profit and not-for-profit, I mean, when I joined Kane Brothers in 2010, you know, we were dealing, you know, with both constituents, but the fact of the matter is they spend most of their time casting aspersions on each other. Not-for-profit is slow and inefficient and, you know, dot, 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 and for-profit or evil capital list that all they care about is profits, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I think that was just an easy way to stick your head in the sand and, you know, as we know, most of the great brands within healthcare reside within not-for-profit world. Um, there still is a lot of trust there, but, you know, there's also a lot of frustrations too and vice versa. There's been a lot of innovation. There's been a lot of very positive things that have come out of for-profit change. And that was really the point of this conference is we need to stop casting aspersions and we need to start looking at the system more holistically and thinking about strengths and weaknesses and where we can partner and you know how private equity can be a catalyst to, to help do that. But need, no one is going to have all the solutions. I think your comment earlier about it, it's going to take a village. There's just no question. And you know, I said in a conference, and I think it's in the last podcast, you know, the good thing is we're, we're dealing with these constituents all the time and we know Everyone wants to solve the problems, but, you know, when you don't know someone, it's easy to take shots. But if you start working with something, you know, barriers come down. And, that, and that's the real goal is how do we bring down the walls, bring down the barriers, create, you know, common interests to solve some pretty big and complicated problems. Yeah, it really is interesting. I mean, just this week, the American Medical Association came out and suggested maybe society should do away with the tax exemption for hospitals. And you can imagine how the AHA responded to that. And so the daggers, uh, to some extent, are out and all the different sectors are feeling pressure. And what I like about the PE health system initiative is that it's not trying to cast the blame. It's looking for solutions. So PE funds companies that can generate a longer-term return. In fact, that I thought was one of the better points that you made. I think PE unfairly gets castigated as just being in for the, the quick hit and then back out. And that way of thinking about things neglects the fact that they actually have to sell it to somebody who thinks there's long-term value in the company. There aren't, there isn't a bunch of dumb money wandering around to buy these assets, right? So we've been talking about health systems a little bit. Why don't we flip to private equity and where you see private equity offering perhaps 
the highest value opportunities for health systems. So where can they plug in in the way that will create the most value? What do you think? Well, I, I think there's no shortage of opportunity sets around that. I think that, you know, the one thing that they're long is capital and, you know, expertise in building businesses. The, the place where, you know, not-for-profits have struggled, you know, and this is true for all, but, you know, clearly there's more capital constraints that they're facing. And, you know, I think they're going to have to be more selective on how they spend their capital in what is pretty capital intensive business. You think about a hospital campus and all that goes on, that's a, that's a capital intensive business. And, you know, one of the points that, you know, I raised was that you, you simply cannot own and control and fund everything and that people are going to have to rethink their role and rethink partnerships and how do they extend their capital and you know what aspects of healthcare delivery they're good at and what has aspects of healthcare delivery they're not you know particularly good at and i'd say first and foremost i think most health systems would say this and what we've seen a lot of activity is around you know some of these more retail oriented low dollar aspects of healthcare delivery you know urgent care point care is an example of that where most I think health systems would say you know we're not particularly good at retail medicine you know we're not really good at you know customer experience and we're not really good at you know high volume low dollar activities and so that's definitely been an area of joint ventures and collaboration with the notion that we do need to have a better front door we are not interested in bringing every urgent care visit into the ED, it only screws up our operations. And so there's an opportunity for a win-win in private equity is like, you know, if I can create an urgent care business that partners with the name brand system in the market, there's clear value in that, you know, I'm part of the local healthcare ecosystem, there's branding, there's all sorts of stuff that benefits from that. And if I can provide a great after visit follow on whether it's you know a referral to imaging or a referral to a specialist or whatever if that's seamless to the client then that's a great you know that's a great thing for the patient and it will have them come back to me and at the same time the health system is getting you know what they want out of it that's just one example of i think a panoply of opportunities around potential partnerships Oh, yeah. And I mean, you had on stage the TPG partnership with Novant in the imaging business, you know, another potentially high volume, low margin, customer centric activity. Uh, you can see it in other diagnostics, uh, you know, across the board. I, Surgery, too, you know, it's interesting. I mean, as you know, I mean, with such, you know, continued improvements in technology, I mean, they're just each specialty you know, is moving more and more surgeries outside of the hospital, you know, OR because you can do it safely. And so, you know, that's another area where we're seeing, you know, lots of collaboration and partnership and, and more opportunities as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And where I think the rubber is going to hit the road on this, and it gets back to where we started on the funding question, at some point, the marketplace is going to start paying less money for these more efficient ways of doing things, right? Like telehealth visits are less expensive to do than in-person visits. 
And yet we've got parity in how we price for them. And I think part of the paradigm shift is actually making price matter again. And that is where I think the health systems run some risk because in today's world, uh, they often get paid a premium price for doing some pretty routine things. That problem doesn't affect retail businesses because they, by definition, are in high volume, low margin businesses. And that's part of the expertise that that PE brings. And so if the ultimate goal is to create a holistic uh, consumer friendly platform that helps guide each of us through our healthcare journeys in the in the right ways, I do think that some places are going to figure this out. And those that do will have to make good on the promise of, of better care, better outcomes, better experience at lower more competitive price points, you know, you just, you're just not going to get paid five grand for doing an MRI that much longer, right? When you can go down the street and get it for 600 bucks. So, you know, just talk a little bit about the evolution of the marketplace and how value, which is something a lot of people talk about, but not many people practice is actually working its way back into the ecosystem in some pretty powerful ways. You know, it's a really good question. And I think the jury's still out. I mean, I think everyone certainly believes it. And we're certainly seeing, you know, efforts to create aligned incentives between payer and provider and patient to invest upfront to create long-term value um, through lower costs. And hopefully, you know, that goes hand in hand with improved healthcare. I'd say in many ways, we're still probably early on that journey of really knowing if a lot of these value-based efforts are proving to be effective and you know proving to create behavior change in, in providers and, and patients. Because at the end of the day, I think that's a big part of it, is just change, making behavior changes to create long-term value. But, you know, I mean, it, you know, capitated medical groups have been around forever. You know, you do the comparison of, you know, healthcare costs in Southern California versus Northern California, which is, you know, a little bit of an interesting microcosm of a managed care, physician-centric market down in Southern California versus a hospital health system market, you know, dominated market in Northern California. And the, and the costs, you know, differentials are, are stunning. So, you know, it is out there. It's just not consistent across all the markets. And, you know, that's where it becomes challenging because each market is different. You know, the, the dynamics between the payers and the providers is different. And some people are very accustomed to risk. Some people are not. And, you know, it, it it's not just a, a smooth slope. But we're trying to get there, and we're certainly, you know, been a lot of investment around that, and there's been some success, but you know, there's also been, you know, some challenges as well. Because as they said at the end of the day, I mean, to really do this, it requires, you know, fundamental behavior change on a number of constituents' parts, and that's not easy to do. <laughs> no kidding. Well, you know, there's all this talk about how technology is going to be the savior here. You know, McKinsey has a report out saying that uh, AI will cut a trillion dollars out of expenses by 2025. And I just saw I just saw 
a lawsuit where uh, some providers are suing some payers for using AI to figure out how to deny claims, right? So as long as people keep fighting that old fee-for-service, administrative services only game, and it's zero sum, it's, you know, every dollar I collect is a dollar you don't get, not how do we do this better together. I think the industry is going to continue to tread water. We won't see any efficiency because all the tech will go to playing the the old game a little bit more effectively, not to playing the new game, you know, the value game. I just quickly, you know, just you reminded me, I had uh, I had dinner last week with Rich Park, who, you know, was the founder of CityMD. And Rich is, you know, with his new fund, you know, been doing, you know, a lot of investing in different medical groups and and risk and things like that. And we were just talking about one of those companies and how he's been, you know, able to, you know, effectuate change and start generating some results. And it was implementing email and consistent data input from the doctors, you know, relative to plans. I mean, like really basic blocking and tackling was generating, you know, meaningful change. And so I, I get bemused by, you know, the application of AI and all this, you know, these grandiose things when what we're talking about is, you know, email. Um, or, you know, back to the conference, you know, the, the discussion with some of the independent service organizations around just inventory management and just, I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. What is your inventory? <laughs> Why don't we start there? <laughs> Which back to the where we started. I, I just think that you know we've been able to be bemused by the folly of all this because we've had the economic resources to do it. And we are now, I believe, at a tipping point that is going to suggest we can no longer laugh at these stories, but we're really going to have to really make fundamental changes to create more value and make the dollar go a lot further than it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And then make no mistake, even though demographics will expand the need for acute care services, there's so much waste built into the current system. I mean, I've seen statistics that say over half of what happens in hospital is either wasteful or preventable, right? 50% is a pretty big swing number to play with when you're challenging an incumbent. But preventable, you know, a lot of that back to that's that's behavior change on my part as a patient, as a person. You know, a lot of these things are are, are due to folks, you know, and, and choices they make that end up being something that, you know, they could have prevented. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, you know, I don't, once again, throw this all in the health systems. Oh, not at all. There is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of care that we provide, a lot of procedures that we do that, you know, are arguably preventable or, you know, maybe more importantly, probably not really extending, you know, the quality of, of one's life and, you know, is done because of economic motivations, a lack of talking about end of life. I mean, there's all, there's, there's all sorts of ways we could take this. There's no question. And and that's, and that's my real fundamental point is we're going to have to have, start having more serious conversations. And it's not because 
the Republicans or the Democrats are in office, it's because we can no longer afford this and that we really got to get serious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we don't get serious, if the industry doesn't reform from inside out, it's going to be reformed from outside in the way some other industries have been. Um, And I I, where I was going with my last set of comments is I think we're going to actually see shrinkage in the acute care sector, the footprint overall. And those that remain will maybe have a larger share of the overall market. They'll be they'll be more efficient. They'll run focus factories for surgery. They'll have these customer centric models that out migrate care from from hospitals into into clinics, into the home, into virtual modalities. So we unleashed a little bit of that during COVID, and the industry overall has been trying to put the genie back in the bottle rather than than build on the success. And it was pretty remarkable to see how quickly the change happened when we had to make it happen. And we aren't going to have another pandemic, God willing, essentially a you know government shutdown of the economy and everything that, that went with that. But what we could have is just enormous market pressure brought to bear on inefficient payers and providers of all stripes, and that those that emerge from it will, by virtue of competition and better ideas, better execution will win. And I think that's actually a good thing for society as a whole, although it will be reasonably messy for this industry you and I've been a part of now for decades. But that's where I think we're headed. What do you think? I completely agree with that. And I think that, you know, as a result, those surviving health systems are going to get, frankly, probably more complicated as organizations. And that's where I think it will lead to more partnerships. You know, we talked about viewing the health system as the ecosystem or the as the or the Apple iPhone and you know it has a bunch of apps on it that they control what comes on but didn't necessarily own and create that app. You know, and I think it's probably where we're gonna go. And, and and the reality though is it's not just scale for scale's sake. You know, there, there's gonna have to be some real real change as well. And I, I do sometimes worry about some of these, you know, not-for-profit consolidation plays where we just, you know, kind of play deal as opposed to actually like really do deal. Really, <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's yeah, where yeah. that will be the next level of pressure is there's going to have to be real integration, real change. There's going to be, you know, winners and losers through this process naturally. And hopefully, the end result is we as a society are the are the end winners. That is at the end of the day the real goal here is is how do we get more out of dollar we spend on improved healthcare. Yeah, you know that's a good place I think to land our conversation today. And I got to say why it, it was really fun being part of the planning and and execution of this first ever health system. PE collaboration, and it's going to get bigger and better from here. And as we hope that health systems get bigger and better and more complex from a management perspective, it may be less complex from a user perspective. Uh, it gets easier and better for consumers, not harder and, and tougher. I completely agree with you. And and, and just capstone to, you know, the, the conference was the follow-on conversations that we've had with folks, just debriefing and getting feedback. And all of them want to come back and do it again next year. So, you know, which speaks to this isn't a one and done thing. It's going to 
be you know years in the making and you know back to the the TPG Novant transaction that was years in the making and so this this is definitely something that you know is going to be an ongoing effort and as I said probably a decade in the making of of real change and I really look forward to it and you know we're anxious to be you know a part of that. Yeah. Well, I can't let you get away, though, Wyatt, without making one big, bad, bold prediction about healthcare five years from now. Maybe you can do it in the context of what we'll see in terms of PE and health system collaboration. I mean, what's that going to look like five years from now? Well, I think it's going to certainly look more robust than it does today. I think that there's going to be, you know, a lot of a lot of different areas where we're going to see collaboration. You know, I think one of the in addition to the the risk side, which there there certainly is some, and there'll be more, you know, I also wonder just around you know personnel and staffing too. Are there ways to think about you know how you how you staff and employ people in ways that are different than how they do it now? Because as we all know, finding staff, keeping staff, paying staff, you know, is a really difficult challenge. And I don't know if health systems individually on their own are going to be able to solve those problems. And I think there's probably some opportunities around that, which would be a real difference from how hospitals historically have thought, you know, of themselves as an employer. So more to come on that, but I do think that that's actually an area of real interest. Yeah. Work smarter, (laughs) not necessarily harder. Correct. Just industry as a whole. Well, Wyatt, not surprising, but what a fantastic conversation and puts a nice exclamation point on the effort to launch this new collaboration between health systems and PE. I encourage listeners to read both parts of our kickstarting innovation commentary on the Nashville conference. The first is subtitled Bringing Health Systems and Private Equity Together for Good. And the second is why health systems and private equity need each other. Both, as we said at the beginning, the first deals with more of the what and the how, and the second article that Wyatt, you and I wrote together is more the why. So I hope you've all enjoyed this conversation about the Nashville conference. Look for more from us in the future. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep doing what you do to make our health system kinder, smarter, and more accessible and affordable for all. Thanks a bunch, Wyatt. It's been fun as always. Thanks, David.